Hi, welcome to Pitt Town Church. We are so glad that you're listening to this podcast. We pray that this sermon encourages you in your walk with Jesus. If you would like more information, check out our website at www.pitttownchurch.com. All right, so we've now come to a time of Bible reading. So the passage that we're going to look at tonight is from the New Testament, from the book of Matthew, starting at chapter 1, verses 18 through to 25. Verse 18. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfil what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph got up from sleeping, He did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not know her intimately until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good evening, everyone. Let's let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are uh, always good and kind to us, and you have given us so many things. You have given us your word, you have given us your son, you have given us one another. And Father, we pray now as we get to enjoy all of those things, as we see Jesus a bit more clearly in your word with one another, Father, we do pray that you would help us, teach us, that we would understand what your word says and what it means and why it's important. And Father, we pray that you would do this and we, and we ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, sometimes things can be familiar and things can be predictable and the familiarity and the predictability is a source of real comfort. You know what's happening, you know what's coming, you know what to expect and sometimes that familiarity is, is really good because sometimes what I want is what's familiar. What I want is what I know. You know what it's like when you have to go somewhere you've never been before, somewhere where you're not familiar, whether you, you had to change schools or you have to go to a university or you start a new job and nothing is familiar. There's nothing predictable. You don't know how it works. You don't know what's happening. And you know how hard that can be. Sometimes what we want is what is familiar. And maybe, you know, you've got a song 
or you've got a whole bunch of songs or a movie that you could just listen to, you could just watch over and over again. And it doesn't matter how many times you would watch it or how many times you would listen to it. You're still going to love that song. You're still going to love that movie. And you love it because it's familiar, because you know it so much. Like I could hear the song Gangster's Paradise by Coolio a million times. I, I could hear that song over and over again and I would just love it just as much now as at the end of all of that. I just, I love that song. And maybe you've got a song like that or a movie like that that you could just watch over and over again and the familiarity is so powerful. And so sometimes it's like that. Sometimes we want what's familiar. And, you know, this last year or so, COVID, has our whole lives have been unpredictable and not familiar. You know, what's, what are the restrictions? What are we allowed to do? Where are we allowed to go? Are we allowed to wear masks? It changed all the time and it, and it was hard work living a life of unpredictability and where things weren't like they normally were. And yet at the same time, sometimes predictable and familiar are bad. It's boring. You do the same things over and over again and it's a grind. It's a rut. It's a treadmill. We keep doing stuff but we're not going anywhere. Nothing's changing and it can, it can be really hard when things are just the same as they always were and the same as they always have been. And I think those two responses, those two approaches to familiarity turn up at Christmas. For some of us, we love Christmas and we love it because it's always the same. Same things, same carols, same story, same food, same people, same everything. And, and we love it because of that. that. That's why we like it. Whereas for others of us, the familiarity of Christmas breeds or has bred contempt. And we don't like Christmas as much because it's always the same. And our passage here tonight is one of those classic Christmas passages. You might have heard this passage read in various Christmassy occasions, dozens of times, hundreds of times over the years. You know this. It's Mary and Joseph and the virgin birth and O come, O come, Emmanuel, and it's the same. But the problem sometimes with knowing what's coming is that it's predictable and it's boring. Same every year. Virgin birth here. Next week's going to be the wise men. We already know that. And we know what's happening and it's just familiar. And because it's familiar, it's easy to forget just how shocking this whole moment in history is. And so the objective tonight isn't to say something new or something fresh. The objective is to say what's always been there, to say just what's in the text, to say the same things. But for those of us where maybe the familiarity has smoothed off some of the edges, tonight what I'm hoping is that in as we look at this and we see the same things and we say the same things, maybe we might recapture some of the awe that we had and maybe some of the sharpness 
of the Christmas story that perhaps we might have lost over the years. So if you were here with us last week, we looked at Matthew chapter 1, the very start, the genealogy of Jesus. And we saw that Jesus was the fulfillment of God's two big promises, his promises to Abraham and his promises to King David. And we saw that the genealogy was a two-promise, three-phase genealogy. And the point of it all was that Jesus was the point of it all, that he is the king of everyone and everywhere. And it doesn't matter who you are or where you live or whether you know it or whether you like it. Jesus is the king of everyone. And then here we come to this passage and whether you've been in church forever or you've not been in church much at all, if you've been around Christmas at all, you know this part of the story, the virgin birth, the virgin is with child. That's the passage that we're up to. And now we're going to come back and talk about the virgin birth itself on Christmas Eve at nine o'clock and then Christmas morning at eight and 9.30. So here tonight, we're not going to focus so much on that. For now, our question is, why does Matthew tell us this? And why does he tell us this this way? What's he actually saying to us and what point are we supposed to be getting from it? Because he says that the virgin birth fulfills a prophecy about the virgin will be with child and they'll call him Emmanuel. But here's the thing, immediately after that, they don't call him Emmanuel. They call him Jesus. And so what's going on with this prophecy and what is, what is Matthew wanting us to learn? So I want to zoom in on that prophecy. And again, what does it mean? Why is it important? So let's jump in. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 1. Then we're going to head to Isaiah. But for now, Matthew chapter 1. Let's see what we can see. I want to zoom in on verses 21 to 23. Mary's a virgin, but she's pregnant. And then we're told, verse 21, she'll give birth to a son and you are to name him Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. Now, all of this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. And just there in verse 23, that's a quote from Isaiah chapter 7. And this is why Matthew tells us about the virgin birth, because it's fulfilling this prophecy from about almost 800 years before Jesus was born. And this, Matthew says, is why he's telling us the story. And so it's this, math, it's this Isaiah chapter 7 thing that I want to zoom in on. So Christmas, the birth of Jesus, is about fulfilling this prophecy, Isaiah chapter 7. But what is Isaiah chapter 7 about? Well, the first answer is that Isaiah chapter 7 is about King Ahaz. Now, probably, I, I would think, amongst us, King Ahaz is no one's favorite Christmas character. Probably most of us, probably all of us, have no idea 
who King Ahaz is or what he did or what he's on about. And so what I want to do, let's, let's rewind and zoom out. We're going back to 734 BC. It's about 750 years before Jesus was born. And on the screen, we'll put a map of ancient, the ancient Near East. And uh, you can see down on the, on the, like the bottom left, there's Egypt. And then there's the kingdom of Judah above that. And then the kingdom of Israel above that, the 10 northern tribes. And then here it gets just, just a tiny bit confusing because there's Aram above that. And Aram is also known as Syria. It's like two names for the same place. So you've got Aram, Syria, and then above Aram and a bit over is Assyria. Assyria is not the same as Syria. It's going to keep that clear in your head. And then at the top there, when we're talking about Assyria, Assyria is on the rise. They are becoming the global superpower. They're, they're becoming the world conqueror. They're conquering this whole region. And their leader is a guy called Tiglath-Pileser III. What a name. And Tiglath is wanting to conquer everything and be the king of the world. And so the king of Aram, his name is Rezin, and the king of Israel, his name's Pekah. Rezin and Pekah, Aram and Israel, they want to revolt and rebel against the king of Assyria. And they want Judah to come and join them. So there'll be the three kings, Judah, Israel, Aram, and all of them will go to war against Assyria, which would be absolute suicide. Assyria is a war machine and you, you don't pick a fight with Assyria. It would be like if Queensland and Victoria said to New South Wales, hey, let's the three of us team up and we'll go to war against America. It's like, Bro, that is a terrible idea. America is a war machine. And if the three of us go to war with them, we're all dying. It's like that. And so Ahaz, though, the king of Judah, he knows that if he says no to them, then they'll just team up and invade Judah, kill him anyways, and then do what they were going to do anyway. And so he's stuck in this circumstance. He doesn't know what to do. And into that comes Isaiah the prophet. And so if you have it there, if you've got like your Bible or your tablet, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 7, because I want you to see this for yourself. I want you to be able to see for yourself the promise of the virgin with child, because it's so strange. So, Isaiah chapter 7, Ahaz has these two problems. Both options that he has are bad. And here comes Isaiah with a radical solution. His solution is don't trust Rezin and Pekah, don't trust Aram and Israel, and also don't trust the king of Assyria either. Don't trust either of them. Instead, option number three, trust God. 
So you see it here in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 9. Here's the summary of what he says to them. He says, if you do not stand firm in your faith, then you will not stand at all. That's a great verse. If you do not stand firm in your faith, then you will not stand at all. So God says, they won't destroy you. Don't be afraid. Trust me. Ahaz is not convinced. And so God sends Isaiah a second time with an offer. Verses 10 to 13 of Isaiah chapter 7 says, Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz. Ask for a sign from the Lord your God, from the depths of Sheol to the heights of heaven. But Ahaz replied, I will not ask. I will not test the Lord. And it sounds like he's doing the right thing, you know, like I will not test the Lord. It sounds like a pious, it sounds, it sounds good, but it's not good. It's not that he's not testing God. It's that he's not trusting God. And in verse 13, then Isaiah replies, and you can, you can feel his anger. He says, listen, house of David, is it not enough for you to try the patience of men? Will you also try the patience of my God? My God, not your God. That Ahaz has now distanced himself from the Lord and God is not his God anymore. He's not trusting God, doesn't want to trust God. And Ahaz is going to put his trust in Assyria to save him. This is not a good idea. And then into this moment, this kind of geopolitical kings and nations and invasions, into this moment comes the Christmas promise. I don't know about you, but this feels like a strange place for it. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. So, you know, ask me for a sign. No, I won't ask you for a sign. So then God says, well, I'll give you a sign. Verse 14, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, have a son and name him Emmanuel. And that's the Christmas promise. It seems weird, right, to have it here in the midst of all this geopolitical stuff. That's, this is where the promise comes from. God gives Ahaz a sign. It's a weird sign. It's a child. A baby will be born. A virgin will conceive. A baby will be the sign. But it's not referring to Christmas. It's not referring to the coming of King Jesus. It's referring to the coming of the king of Assyria. You see it at the very end of verse 17. It's a sign that the king of Assyria is coming. And so this is confusing. You know, you might ask yourself, what, what, about, what about Christmas? What does this have to do with a baby in the manger? And also, is this sign that God is going to give, is, this, is it a good thing or is it a bad thing? In verse 16, it says, For before the boy knows to reject what's bad and choose what's good, the land of the two kings you dread will be abandoned. And that sounds like good news, right? Here's the king of Assyria's coming, and the time frame is before a newborn can choose right from wrong, 
Assyria will come and those two northern kings who are going to take you over, they're going to be destroyed. That sounds like good news. But then verse 15, it says, by the time he learns to reject what's bad and choose what's good, he will be eating butter and honey. And some translations here say curds and honey. Curds and honey is what you eat when you don't have anything to eat. When you don't have any crops, you eat curds and honey. You eat like milk from your goat and then you scratch a tree and you get some wild honey. That's all you've got. You've got no other food because the king of Assyria is coming and he's going to take everything and he'll leave you with nothing and he won't care. So that sounds bad. And then verse 17 The Lord will bring on you, your people, and the house of your father, such a time as has never been since Ephraim separated from Judah. The king of Assyria is coming. And so that's the sign. A baby will be born, and before it knows right from wrong, Assyria will come, and they'll destroy Aram, they'll destroy Israel, and they will smash Judah. So it's like it's sort of good news, but not really. It's mostly bad news. And it's kind of salvation, but not really. It's mostly judgment. Because Ahaz didn't want to trust God and instead put his trust in Tiglath-Pileser III, the king of Assyria. And it's not going to go well. Which is exactly then what happened. It didn't go well. In two years, so in 732... Assyria was on the march and Aram was destroyed. And then soon after that, Israel was destroyed. And then soon after that, Judah was decimated, but not technically destroyed, but they were not having a good time. The prophecy had come true. And from this moment, it's just a downward spiral for Judah. Ahaz's rejection of God and his embrace of Assyria was the beginning of the end for Judah. From this moment on, they were pretty much always ruled by someone else, whether it was the Assyrians or the Babylonians or the Persians or the Greeks or the Romans. They were pretty much never free again. And this is where it started, King Ahaz. Even though Isaiah told Ahaz to trust the Lord, Ahaz instead chose to trust Assyria and gave his loyalty to the king of Assyria. And so the sign that's given, a child will be born and he'll be called Emmanuel, that's bad news. Because this Emmanuel child is a sign that God's judgment is coming. The king of Assyria is coming. And then Matthew says, this is what the birth of Jesus is all about. This is what we need to remember to understand Jesus. But it's confusing because here in Isaiah, the child, Emmanuel, is clearly not Jesus. The child being born is about the timing of the Assyrian invasion as God comes to bring judgment to his disobedient people. And it all happened back in 732. 
That's like 700 years before Jesus arrived. And so it's like, what is Matthew talking about? And what does he want us to see? Now, maybe you're not quite convinced that this Emmanuel child in Isaiah is an actual child that was born back in 734 BC. So come over to chapter 8 of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 7, 8, and 9 are like one big thing. And we've looked at chapter 7. Come to chapter 8, pick it up in verse 3. Isaiah says, I was then intimate with the prophetess, and she conceived and gave birth to a son. The Lord said to me, name him Mahashalal Hashbaz. Again, first of all, what a name. Beautiful. It means quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil. And when Nix was pregnant, when we were having our first kid, we were trying to work out what we would call them and what, what, what the name would be. And Nix said, maybe we should call them something biblical. And I said, I've got just the name. I said, let's call them Mahashalal Hashbaz. It's biblical. And for some reason, Nicole didn't like that option. And so we ended up calling our first child Avalon, which is still a nice name, I suppose. It's fine. It's good. But it's not as good. It doesn't roll off the tongue quite like Mahashalal Hashbaz. So anyway, the language here in chapter 8 is very similar to the language back in chapter 7. She'll conceive, she'll give birth to a son, And then in verse four, for before the boy knows how to call out father or mother, the wealth of Damascus, that's Aram, and the spoils of Samaria, that's Israel, will be carried off to the king of Assyria. It's it's different words, but it says exactly the same thing as chapter seven. The child to be born sounds like it's Isaiah's son, Mahashalal Hashbaz. And yet, as you read on in Isaiah, it also starts to become clear that there was more to the Emmanuel sign, more to the birth of a child promise, more than just the timing of the Assyrian invasion. Because by the time you get to chapter 9 in Isaiah, which is also a famous kind of Christmassy passage, you get this bit where in the midst of all this judgment coming down from the north, Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 says, For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He'll be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. In other words, Emmanuel, God with us mighty God. And so here is what Matthew wants us to see. The sign of the virgin, the sign of the child, the sign of Emmanuel has a double meaning and a, and a double fulfillment. There will be Mahashal, Mahashalal 
Hashbaz, but there'll be another child, another Emmanuel, not Mahashal al-Hashbaz, another child who will be God with us in a different way. And Matthew wants us to see that the sign of the child Emmanuel is both a sign of salvation, but it's salvation in the midst of judgment. It's a sign that God's purposes will be fulfilled in the Messiah who will not fail like Ahaz and every other king in Israel and Judah failed. But God had promised that a Messiah would come, a child would be born and he would be Emmanuel. He would be mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. And then one day in Bethlehem, a child was born. And all that Isaiah had said way back about this baby that was going to be born came true, but it was like it was in a higher key. It's like all the promises had been amplified. So it was that Mary wasn't just a young woman or she wasn't just a virgin who conceived like normal and had a son, but she was still a virgin when she gave birth, right? It's the same promise, but it's now amplified. And the son was Emmanuel, God with us, not just because he was a sign that God had come among us to bring judgment and do his work, but that he was Emmanuel because in him God literally had come among us and was literally God himself as a human in the flesh. He was Emmanuel, but it was amplified. That's what Matthew wants us to see, that this promise back in Isaiah had a double fulfillment and it went into a amplified higher key. And so then the question then is, was he as God with us? Was he a sign of salvation or judgment? Was it good news or was it bad news? And the answer is, well, like with Isaiah chapter 7 and Ahaz, when Jesus came, he calls on people to put their trust in him. And when people put their trust in him, then judgment passes them by. Judgment passes over them and salvation is theirs. But if people reject him, if people reject Jesus, then the consequences of that choice just roll straight in at them like the Assyrian war machine. Because that's what happens when the offer of salvation is rejected. And so maybe you're here tonight and you've, you're not quite sure where you stand and what you think about God or church or Jesus or even Christmas. And from all that we've seen from Matthew chapter 1 and Isaiah chapter 7, what's the point of all this? What are we supposed to see? I just want to highlight two things. The first thing is, we saw the same thing last week. We'll see it again next week. The first thing is that God keeps his promises. You see it in the first fulfillment of the sign of the child Emmanuel, Isaiah. Just like he said, within two or three years, 
The king of Assyria was on the move. Aram was destroyed. Israel was destroyed and Judah was wrecked. Just like God said that it would happen. And then also Matthew chapter one, the son of Abraham, the son of David, the Emmanuel born of the virgin, born to save his people, born God with us, burst into history in the person of Jesus. And unlike Ahaz, Jesus was a king who trusted God's word and who brought salvation and achieved everything he was supposed to achieve. And so you can hope, you can put your hope in the God who keeps his promises. And not in a, in a Christmas card, empty platitude, false hope kind of way, but it's a, it's a confident hope. It's a sure hope. It's a hope that's based on evidence. It's a hope that's based on hard historical facts. Facts like 734 BC. Facts like 2000 years ago, Jesus born in a manger. 30 years after that, with a king on a cross. And when this God makes promises, this God will keep them. Which then leads us to the second highlight, and that is salvation is always in the midst of judgment. Because Emmanuel was an ambiguous title. We think of it like it's a good thing. It's Emmanuel, God with us. But it can be good and it can be bad. Depends what side of the promise you're on. God came to Ahaz with an offer of salvation and Ahaz rejected it. And so then the Emmanuel became bad news. It was a sign of judgment. And it's the same for us. It's the same with Jesus. He is... Emmanuel. He himself is Emmanuel. He is God himself. And how you respond to Jesus is how you respond to God. And Jesus comes with an offer of salvation. But it's not salvation from Assyria or from Rome or from some other geopolitical power. No, Jesus comes with an offer where he will save his people from their sins He'll save his people from the eternal consequences of their sins. And the way he does this is by the cross, by he himself dying in our place, he himself taking our judgment so that it passes by me and the judgment goes straight at him like an Assyrian war machine. It passes me by. And that's what he's done for me and that's what what he can do for you. If you were to put your trust in him, if you were to not reject him, because if you reject him, if you don't put your trust in him, then Emmanuel is bad news. But if you put your trust in him, then judgment could pass you by. And Emmanuel is good news. And no matter who you are, maybe you're here and you've been trusting Jesus since forever, or maybe only just recently, or you're not quite sure what you think. For each one of us, God is calling each of us to do the same thing that Ahaz was called on to do. 
And that is, we are to trust that God will bring salvation. The call of Christmas, the call of Emmanuel, is to not be like Ahaz, to not reject God's offer of salvation. It didn't work for Ahaz and it won't work for you. We, each each one of us, need to trust that salvation will come from the Lord. And exactly like Isaiah says to Ahaz in Isaiah chapter 7 verse 9, so God says to us, so God says to you, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus, that he was Emmanuel, God with us, and that as we respond to him, so we respond to you. Father, help us, each one of us in this room, to respond to you rightly, not to reject your offer of salvation like Ahaz did, but Father, help us to put our trust in Jesus and to continue to put our trust in Jesus. And Father, we thank you that you are a God who always keeps your promises and you've done it before and you'll do it for us. Amen.